0: What's up, y'all? And welcome to another episode of the Prep Station Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about the Dominion lawsuit against Fox News, another bad weekend for Ron DeSantis, and we'll check out the NBA playoffs. But we've got to start off with that Dominion lawsuit. The Dominion voting system $1.6 billion defamation suit against Fox News was scheduled to begin this week. The trial was originally expected to start today, but was delayed at the last minute by the judge. There are some reports out there that say Fox News may be trying to reach a last-minute settlement. The lawsuit was brought on after numerous Fox News hosts and guests pushed misinformation about the company's voting technology, specifically uh, they were that their machines were rigged against Donald Trump. Fox claims that it was merely reporting on Trump's conspiracy theories. Defamation suits are notoriously hard to win. You have to prove that the accused knowingly lied and that they acted with actual malice. The second part here is key because the judge has already acknowledged that Fox lied with their coverage. Another reason that defamation suits are really hard to win is because free speech is given pretty wide deference here. Fox News has leaned on that, trying to make this a case about freedom of the press. Now Fox has already been taken to the cleaners during Discovery. Private messages and emails from various hosts and executives show that no one believed in Trump's election conspiracies, and they only pushed the narrative because they knew their audience wanted it. The network's most popular host, Tucker Carlson, was even shown to outright hate Donald Trump. And after this info leaked, Tucker had to give a groveling interview to the former president, something that was outright painful to watch. You know something's off when you feel bad for Tucker Carlson. As expected, these revelations have had little effect on Fox's viewers, they either ignore it or just declare it's fake news. Another byproduct of the Trump era is just declaring news you don't like fake news and ignoring it. But this case is important. Fox News has straddled the line between news and propaganda since its exception. The network's claim to have hard news in the day and opinion content at night is misleading if not downright false. Even the network's hard news often has a conservative slant and spouts many of the same opinions of its primetime hosts. And before the whatabouts come out, it's bad when MSNBC and CNN do it too. Cable news has been a big pusher of the partisans of a divide in this country. I would argue that Fox News was the first and worst offender, and I'm not sad to see them pay the price for what they've done. Um, And this was a particularly egregious Instance of this, in my opinion, because this was they just basically hour after hour, day after day, were going after this voting company. This is a company now. This ain't a person. This ain't a politician. This is a company. So you are directly impacting this company's bottom line. This could have lost them business. You know, if it's coming out that their voting systems are rigged or hackable or anything like that, it's going to cause states, particularly red states that support Donald Trump, that could cause them to go away from their technology and go to another company so and an interesting note about this is that this case i believe is in delaware where there is no limit on how much damages they can be awarded so the case is for 1.6 billion but the judge could go even higher and i've also read it's been said fox news has about or the parent company i should say has about four billion dollars cash on hand to deal with problems like this so if the damages go much higher you know this could really impact the company and if I'm not mistaken, another company also has a defamation suit against him. Another voting machine company. So, bad uh, bad news for Fox News. Um, speaking of bad news, uh, Ron DeSantis had another bad weekend. After losing his latest battle to Disney and falling further behind in the primary polls, DeSantis lost a major GOP megadonor this weekend. Thomas Petterfee, the billionaire founder of Interactive Brokers Group, said he was pausing his donations to Governor DeSantis. He cited Ron's stance on abortion and book banning as the reason behind his decision. Petterfee has previously distanced himself from Donald Trump as well, specifically after the 2022 midterms. He noted the need for a fresh face in order for Republicans to get elected. So electability is clearly Pederfee's preference. You would think that would keep him squarely in the DeSantis camp, as he is viewed as the most electable Republican in the field. The fact that he's pulling support after DeSantis signed a six-week abortion ban shows how much Republican power brokers are spooked by the abortion issue, as they should be. Republicans should have won big in 2022 in the face of a Democratic White House and high inflation, but they didn't. They were also decisively beaten in a Wisconsin Supreme Court race by 10 points. Remember now, that's a state that Biden only beat Trump by a few hundred thousand, or maybe even less than a few hundred thousand votes. Most pundits view abortion as the key issue driving Democratic turnout. As I've said before, Republicans are having their dog-catching-the-car moment. For years, they riled up their base with the abortion issue, But now that they can finally do something about it, they're getting destroyed in the polls by the majority of Americans who don't want to see their rights taken away. Finding a pro-life Republican who could win a primary is virtually impossible, but donors might be looking for someone who's less extreme or at least smart enough to keep quiet on the issue. DeSantis is neither one of these. He just signed one of the most restrictive abortion laws in the country into law, and the odds of him keeping quiet on this issue are slim to none when he has to go all out in order to win the primary over Trump. Now We've almost reached the point where Republicans have be- have to become unelectable in the general in order to win their primary. I got some more Republican news here. Ron DeSantis isn't the only right-winger facing issues to right now. The Heritage Foundation is having something of a crisis of faith. Once a fierce defender of the markets, Heritage is now questioning whether the government should perhaps have a bigger hand in protecting workers from globalization. That thought comes from a report written by Alexander Salter. Get this, the report states that combating monopolies, redistributing income, and even guiding production in essential industries are all valid public policy options. That's a pretty stunning thing to see coming from the Heritage Foundation. You would think this was written by a liberal economist like Robert Wright. Just look at those terms: redistributing income, guiding production and combating monopolies are Republicans for big government now? this of course, didn't come out of nowhere. Donald Trump injected a bevy of new policies into the Republican Party. Gone are the days of rushing being Russia, excuse me, being the great enemy, and free trade being our best friend. His brand of nationalism has um can't survive in a globalist economy without massive government intervention. And I don't want to come across as disapproving here. I welcome my right-wing brothers to the side of economic necessity. Myself and most other Democrats have long realized that the U.S. is not going to be able to compete with the likes of China via just free market alone. If Donald Trump moves the Republican Party away from their disastrous economic policies of the past 40 years, it will be perhaps his greatest gift to the world. Now, with a debt ceiling debate coming up on the horizon, it would be great if Democrats and Republicans got on the same page economically. The partisan divide in this country is one of the big things holding us back. It's hard to compete with a machine like China when you're constantly fighting yourself. However, this change of heart may be short-lived. If Trump loses the primary or goes to jail or just loses the 2024 election, I wouldn't be shocked to see Heritage and most other Republicans fall back to their big business roots. But hey, I'm going to enjoy this while it lasts. All right, next story up. We'll move away from politics here. SpaceX was scheduled to launch their Starship with super heavy booster today, but unfortunately they were forced to cancel at the last minute due to a technical issue. I believe uh, Elon tweeted that it was a frozen valve. When this rocket eventually launches, it's going to be the largest in history. Starship is a big deal because this could be the platform that gets us back to the moon and eventually Mars. I've always been fascinated by space and astronomy, but this is actually more important than a simple fascination. The space program has been hugely beneficial to society, with countless innovations that have come uh, part of our daily lives. This is something we've neglected the past few decades, reaching a point in the past decade where we had to rely on Russia just to get into space. This new era of private space companies is off to a great start. For all I've criticized Elon Musk for with Twitter and his political takes, he's done a tremendous job with SpaceX. I hope to see us become an interplanetary species in my lifetime. Colonizing Mars, which is also one of Elon's big goals, will be a massive undertaking. Successfully launching Starship is one of the first steps in making that a reality. Alright, I'm just going to browse through uh, our politics subreddit, see what's going on in politics now. Uh, Donald Trump says if elected, he will force federal workers to pass a political test and fire them if they fail. Now, I'm going to assume without reading the article, he means like a civics test, like they got you got to know how the government works. I would hope he doesn't mean like a political litmus test, like if you're not Republican enough, you're going to be fired. That would be probably unconstitutional. Let's see. Donald Trump's team rages over polls showing him floundering in the swing states. I mean, the guy had to know after January 6th, he was going to struggle with moderates and independents and whatnot. It's just, he's, I mean, he should have known. But being Trump, he's delusional. He probably didn't. Uh, GOP megadonor pulls plug on DeSantis. We talked about that. The success of the Tennessee 3 shows why we need more confrontational politics. And that's a story I really didn't cover too much. I don't even know if I covered it at all. But it was a fascinating story. We had three Tennessee lawmakers in the legislature who joined a protest in the Capitol against gun violence after the tragic shooting in Nashville. And the legislature expelled two of the legislators, um, the two of the three that were black. Those two were the ones that got expelled. The other was a white lady, and she didn't get expelled. Shocking, I know, right? So anyway, the... um, areas they're from voted them right back in. So they got right back into the legislature. I think they might have to face a special election, but yeah. And they tried to pin this and tried to equate their behavior to the behavior of the January 6th insurrectionists, which was, you know, kind of bonkers. Um, but yeah, um, as for the need for more confrontational politics, That's, I don't know if I would agree with that. I would rather see us get to more civil politics and less confrontational. Um, But, I mean, I'm not opposed to it, you know, if necessary, of course, because we definitely have to start getting things done in this country. This partisan divide that has us, you know, just constantly in a state of gridlock, that has to come to an end. So if confrontation is what it takes, so be it. But I mean, if they don't get as this, my question is, um, what did they accomplish with the protest? They got attention. Sure. But is Tennessee going to pass any new gun restrictions or gun laws or anything to help prevent shootings? No, absolutely not. So I'm not sure that was, that's doing anything more than, you know, grabbing attention and headlines. Um, Clarence Thomas to amend financial forms after home sale. Bombshell. Hmm. We've covered this story pretty extensively. Um Clarence Thomas had a financial relationship with a billionaire mega donor to the GOP, Harlan Crow. He was funding Thomas's vacations, let him use his yacht, went, took, sent him overseas, all this. Then we find out, and none of this was disclosed. Um, then we find out Harlan Crow had bought Clarence Thomas's childhood home for several or at least a hundred thousand dollars. It was six figures. Or I can't remember the exact figure, but it was six figures. He bought his childhood home, but then allowed his mother to keep living there. So, and she got to live there rent free. Harlan Crow even renovated it. This wasn't disclosed. Highly inappropriate relationship. All kinds of ethics violations going on here. But of course, nothing is coming has come of it so far. So that's this will be the probably the best you get is that he's gonna amend his forms to show them. But I mean, just because you wrote down that you did it doesn't make it any better. This is still just all kinds of wrong. Let's see here. Judge rejects Trump request to delay trial rape accusers lawsuit. There's more file, more court trouble for Trump. Let's see. North Carolina lawmakers introduce bill to ban participation trophies for kids. This stuff drives me crazy. This ties into some of the other headlines we've been going over and talking about. Like all the uh, transgender issues. What kind of kills me about this, this has become, not this headline, but like the transgender issues. This has become like one of the GOP's biggest talking points transgenders literally make up 0.6% of the population. I would say probably most people even in this country, if not most, a huge chunk of the company country has never even met a transgender person. So why is there this crusade against this tiny group of people? And I mean, the only thing I can come up with is that they are just the latest boogeyman because it's no longer in vogue to go after black people. They lost that battle. Um, it's you know, early two thousands we had they had their crusade against gays and gay marriage, but with the Supreme Court uh, legalizing gay marriage, they don't can't go there anymore. So this is just the latest group that they get to go after and um, attack. It just it just kills me. It's like I said, zero points you are really focusing your ire on zero point six percent of the population. Time it's getting like who is next? You know, what are they gonna go after next once the, this is run its course? Lizard people? I mean, come on. Um, but as for this, lawmakers introduced bill to ban participation trophies. It's like that seriously needs a law. Go make your own if you don't like participation trophies. Go make your own sports league and don't give them out. You're going to seriously write a law to ban participation trophies with all the problems in the world, and I'm sure all the problems North Carolina has, you know. That's crazy. Democratic senators force uh, favor forcing House to vote on debt limit increase. I will actually, let's look a little bit more into that story. Democratic senators are getting antsy over the lack of progress on legislation to avoid a debt default. We want House Democrats to begin working on a plan to force Republicans to vote on a bill to raise the debt. Uh, Democrats want to avoid a summer standoff on extending the nation's borrowing authority, which could rattle financial markets, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And this bothered me. Hakeem Jeffries, House Minority Leader, shelled the idea of circulating a discharge position to force a vote on the debt limit increase. Opting instead to put pressure on McCarthy to schedule such a vote himself, but this was—I believe—this was a mistake, a huge mistake. I've said this before. I'm pretty sure I've said it on video. Uh, Republicans did, with their backs against the wall, agree to a deal back in 2010, but literally they went to the last day, and we got our credit downgraded because of that. We shouldn't do that again. Jeffrey should have started, the because dis- the discharge position, here's the thing about it, to do that, it takes time. He can't do that on the last day. So this is something that should have been done and done in advance, because I do believe if this goes to the House floor, they only need, all the Democrats would vote for it, you only need literally a handful of Republicans, and it could be passed. And I think a handful would, because this is insane. If you want to have a budget fight, you do that over the budget, not over the debt ceiling and the full faith and credit of the United States. So it looks like Senate Democrats are uh, look want to start pushing the uh, pushing that they agree with me. It would appear. So hopefully we'll see some movement on that, because uh, the early things that McCarthy has shown that Republicans want are really untenable to me, probably to most Democrats, the cuts they want to do. Because, of course, do they do they want to cut defense? No. They want to cap spending at uh, like last year's level or this year's level and then cut spending on certain things, put more requirements on like food stamps and all that. And it's like, sorry, dude, when we got an $800 billion military budget, when we have tax subsidies... Going out to oil companies and all, I really don't want to cut. Uh, you know, fix the budget on the backs of poor people who need food stamps. That's just stupid. Not to mention the uh, programs like food stamps, the government. Uh, you know, the economic activity it creates. It's like over a dollar and thirty something. I can't remember the exact numbers for every dollar spent. So get out of here with that. We must raise the minimum wage to a living wage. Yeah, I agree with that. That's something else. It's like the minimum wage should have long been raised. But I really hope if they do or when they do, if Democrats ever get a big enough majority to do so, and hey, maybe with the Heritage Foundation shift in their policy, maybe Republicans are about to have a more populist economic policy, which would be great. But if they ever do, the next time they lift the minimum wage, it needs to be done... Um, raised to a decent rate. And then now, of course, it has to be within reason somewhere between 10 and 15 dollars. I don't know the exact number that would be palatable for businesses and for people. Um, of course, and of course, states can always raise it higher. Like in my state here in Alabama, 15 dollars an hour would be great. Um, not You're not like you're going to be rich on that. You could want a single person could probably live on 15. It'd be tight, but you could probably afford to live on 15 dollars an hour. California, probably not. But states can always still go above and beyond the national limit. But I think 10 to 15, somewhere in the 10 to 15 range is probably good for a national floor. But what I would like to see if they're going to raise it is go ahead and then tie it to like something like the CPI, the Consumer Price Index, and have it rise automatically over time. So we're not doing this again in a few years time when inflation, which is high right now, has made the price irrelevant. So We definitely need an automatic riser on the minimum wage. Uh, I don't even know if Democrats will fall for that because they love to. you know, Just like Republicans do with abortion, Democrats use this as a rallying cry for their voters. And I'm getting tired of that. It's like, no, we need to get this done, get it fixed, get it to where it rises automatically. And hey, guess what? That means employers, if they want to keep raising prices, they're going to keep raising wages to go with it. So... That seems like a simple fix to me. Alright. What else we got here? <clears throat> it says, Trump says Fox News should stand by his election lies to weaken Dominion's lawsuit. Yeah, the problem with that idea is the judge has already acknowledged them as lies, so if Fox News tried to defend them now, they would really have no chance of winning the case. Uh, what do we got? What do we got? All right, let's go to new. This was just the big headlines. Let's go to new. See if anything, any new news has dropped. McCarthy still can't name his price to free debt ceiling hostage. Yeah, see, I saw the other day that they were supposedly finalizing their plan, and it still hasn't come out yet. So... Republicans have just for the last 10 plus years been a disorganized mess. You know, they were Republicans were so strong under George W. Bush, whether you agree with them or not. Party was united. They were winning elections. They were organized. But man, once the Tea Party took over, it has gone downhill for them since. Biden's approval rating is underwater in 40 states as he preps reelection bid. This is so frustrating to see with all the, um, The polling and the approval ratings and all, because every other week a different poll comes out. This week it's positive, next week it's a negative, then it's back to positive. It's back and forth, and everybody's putting their spin on it. Here's the key number I saw on approval rating. Biden's overall approval rating, forget the state-by-state or whatever, his overall approval rating I believe was one point higher or one point lower than Barack Obama's at the same point in his first term. And, of course, Obama won his re-election comfortably. So, in this day and age where once, you know, Republicans are not supporting Democrats and Democrats are not supporting Republicans, 40-something percent approval is probably all you're going to get. Is Biden super-duper popular? No. Is he, like, in the toilet and he's just going to get trounced? No. So, the whole you know, shock over a 42, 43% approval rating, you know, again, that was Obama's. And now look at how he's looked at by most historians and, uh, by pundits. He's looked at a lot more favorably than he was talked about while he was in office. So kind of need to get over that. All right. And that is about going to wrap up the news. Let's move on to sports. And of course, we got to start with the NBA playoffs. Uh, We discussed some of yesterday's games and Saturday's games in a live stream I did yesterday. So if you're interested in seeing about those games, check out the live stream. The VOD is up on the channel. Excuse me. But now we're going to talk about, let me get the scores up here. Let's go to Sunday. The Clippers Sun Series and the Nuggets T-Wolves because those games had not gone on when we did our live stream. The Clippers, in a little bit of an upset, beat the Suns 115 to 110. Kawhi Leonard had 38 points. Kevin Durant put in 27 points and nine rebounds, 11 assists. So, a good game from Durant, but it wasn't enough, and the Clippers got the stole home court advantage because uh, the Suns were the four seed. There, this is the four five matchup, which is traditionally in NBA basketball one of the better first round matchups, obviously because the teams are relatively close in record. So. The Suns' problems were once again evident in this game. That was their defense, their rebounding. Let's check out the box score to see exactly what we had here. So the Clippers shot 44% from the field as a team. That's not great. Uh, The Suns outshot them 47%, so the offense wasn't the issue. Uh, 10 for 31 from three, 6 for 19, both around 30%. Free throws, Suns got more free throws, 33 to 29 So the big thing was rebounds, 42 to 49 in favor of the Clippers. Um, And this was a tight game, you know, 115 to 110. It's only a five-point game. See who the top performers were. Kawhi Leonard, we said 38 points. Eric Gordon, 19 points. What did CP3 do? Oh wait, right, now I'm looking on the wrong team. That would be wrong. Russell Westbrook had a big performance. Uh only 9 points, but he had eight assists, 11 rebounds, had some key plays, close out the game. Now, why did uh the Suns struggle? I mean, Kevin Durant, he got 27. Craig got 22, Deandre Ayton 18 points, eight rebounds. Uh we already said uh, Kevin Durant almost had a triple double. Devin Booker, 26 points. He did his part. Chris Paul, 7 points. 10 assists, 11 rebounds. So, it was just a tight game. Uh, The bench, of course, also played big for the Clippers. Their bench outplayed the Suns bench. So, this is going to be a good series. I really thought um, without Paul George, the Clippers might struggle. But one thing I keep forgetting is that they did pick up Russell Westbrook. And that, that was a huge get for them. So... The Suns are going to have trouble with their, uh, obviously, their defense. And if they get by in this series, they would get uh, Denver most likely in the second round. We'll talk about them in a minute. And that might be a tough matchup because Denver can put points on the board. So let's check. Now we'll talk about that game. Okay, so Nuggets uh, beat the T Wolves 109 to 80. That is a shellacking 29 points. Um, and not even the best game. Uh, nobody on Minnesota seemed to play well. They shot 37% from the field, 30% from three. Um, only got 16 free throws, but only 17 for uh, Denver, so it was a pretty clean game. But Denver shot 45% from the field, 41% from three. Uh, Jokic, what did he get done? I saw his scoring was low. He only scored 13 points on 6-12 shooting. He only had to play 28 minutes, because I guess this was a bit of a blowout. Plus 15 on the floor, but he did chip in uh, 14 rebounds, 6 assists. Uh, Got a steal. Let's see, it was Jamal Murray really leading the way for Denver with 24 points, 8 rebounds, 8 assists. Solid game from him. 9 of 22 from the field, 4 of 10 from 3. And let's see, who else? Gordon, 13 points. Porter Jr., 18 points. So it was just an all-around team effort. The team shot well. Minnesota shot terribly. And this was after their, you know, terrible performance they had in the first playing game against Los Angeles. So, yeah. I mean, nobody expected them to do much this series. This should be a sweep. If Denver loses a game, it is going to be a disappointment for them. But, yeah, now I was really... So my picks... Let's see. Let's open this back up here. And, uh... What just happened? There we go. Hold on. Go back again. Get to the score. So the Lakers won. I did predict the Lakers to beat the Grizzlies, so I'm happy with that. The Heat beat the Bucks. We talked about this a little yesterday. Giannis went down with a back injury. They think he's going to be okay, but they're keeping an eye on him. As long as he's healthy, they should be okay for sure. But even if he's not healthy, I still ain't counting the Bucks out at this point because the Heat lost Tyler Hero to a broken hand. He's probably done. I mean, I'm assuming he's done for the series. So, um, I would take the Bucks over the Heat without Tyler Hero, even if they don't have Giannis. Uh, Clippers, we talked about that one. I'm still not going to change my pick there. It's only one game. Never freak out after one game. Saturday's games, let's see. The Sixers beat the Nets, as expected, 121-101. Celtics beat the Hawks, as expected. Knicks beat the Cavs. Uh, I think the Cavs are the higher seed there, but again, that's a 4-5 matchup, so you never know. Should be a good series. I think I picked the Cavs there. No, I, maybe I picked the Knicks. Uh, I, I would really like to see the Knicks move out of the first round because I just think it's important for basketball. They need the Knicks to be good. They've been so terrible for so long. And the Kings beat the Warriors. That is a, another series where I picked the upset. I picked the Warriors over the Kings. That score was 126 to 123, so it was really close. And I'm not ready to shift my pick there either, although... I knew this was going to be a good series, probably a tight series. Uh, Two teams that can definitely put the ball in the basket. I still like the Warriors and their experience here, so we'll see what happens. But that's going to be a fun one to watch. All right. Tonight's games, we have Nets Sixers again. That should be a sweep easily for the Sixers. And we have that Warriors-Kings. I'll definitely be watching that one tonight. All right. Last thing I did see, I want to mention, we're not going to talk too much baseball today. We went over baseball yesterday, but uh, this is some football news. Jalen Hurts for the Philadelphia Eagles signed a two, five-year, $255 million extension with the Eagles, including $179 million guaranteed. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jalen Hurts, even though I'm a Cowboys fan and the Eagles are one of our rivals. Jalen Hurts played for the University of Alabama course one of my favorite teams out of all sports Um, did a great job there helped us win a couple national championships he then went on to play for Oklahoma I think and didn't win a championship there but he had a great season and now he is killing it for the Eagles so I'm really happy to see that for him he definitely deserves it he's uh, done a great job for the Eagles took him to the Super Bowl this year so congratulations to Jalen Hurts former Alabama alum But that is about going to wrap up this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to hit that like button. Leave a comment. I love debating in the comments. And if you're really enjoying the episodes, please subscribe and hit the bell so you get notified when new content drops. I will see you guys in the next episode.